Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. And as you can see, today is episode 194, and we have a crew chief on with us, Scott Zipadelli for Tricon Garage. He calls shots on the 11 truck with Corey Heim. It is Heim time at... David Gillen, Johnny Gray, everybody over at Tricon, they have absolutely blown me away this year with the breadth and depth of their organization. As you'll hear Scott talk about just a handful of months ago, like almost six months ago, right? I think a little bit over six months ago. Yeah, they didn't have a trailer. And now they got five full-time trucks, and one of which, Tricon Garage's number 11, that Scott heads up with Corey Heim, is one of the playoff favorites as we head into the postseason after this weekend at Richmond. So excited for you guys to hear that conversation. Just wrap that up here as of this recording with Scott Zipadelli. It was great to chat with him and learn a little bit more about his background in racing and get into some personal side of things as well. We're also going to hit on the race at Pocono. My goodness me, that thing was action-packed, drama-filled, had a lot that you were looking for if you're a NASCAR fan or a sports fan for that matter. And we'll also look ahead to Richmond Raceway this upcoming weekend for the Cup and Truck Series. But before we do any of that, let's throw it over to Papa Siegel, who has this week's Wayback segment. And he's doing so paying homage to the number 94. I have a feeling Mom will be involved as well. Guys, take it away. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 194. Last time around, we focused our Wayback lens on Awesome Beal from Dawsonville. Even though old-timers like me remember Bill Elliott more for his time in the 9 car than in the 94. So, who else is worthy of our look back this week? We could focus on Sterling Marlin, who had the second most starts in the 94, but we already gave Sterling his due in episode 140. We could recall Mama Siegel's fave, Terry Labonte, who's tied for the third most starts in the 94. Kachiga. Sorry, Mooms, we already looked back on Texas Terry during episode 111. Kachiga. We could dig deeper and recall legendary car builder Banjo Matthews, who actually had 26 starts in the 94 back in the day. But uh-uh, we already discussed Banjo in episode 127. Dang, this is hard. Fear not. Turns out that one of the legendary women of NASCAR had eight starts in the 94 car. That was Louise Smith, who, in 1947, drove down from Greenville, South Carolina, to watch the races on the Daytona Beach course. Only problem was she hated being behind the fence watching the action, and on a spur of the moment, entered her husband's brand-new Ford Coupe in the race. She wrecked, hopped a bus home, and was figuring out what to tell Mr. Smith about his missing car, only to find out there was a photo 
of his smashed Ford in the local papers. Would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when she announced, Honey, I'm home that day, huh? Louise Smith won 38 races that we know of between 1949 and 1956 in official late model modified midget and sportsman races. She was known as the first lady of racing and was the first woman to be inducted into the International Motorsports Hall of Fame. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve. Thank you, Dad, and thank you, Mom, for the uh, wonderful kachigas. Yeah, I would, uh, <laughs> I'd pay good money to be a fly on the wall for that conversation as well with Louise Smith coming home and seeing that she just absolutely wrecked her husband's car. But evidently, she could wheel, winning a lot of races in NASCAR and in motorsports in general. So that's a pretty cool story. Did not know all that history about Miss Louise. So thank you, Papa Siegel, for paying homage with this Wayback segment to one Louise Smith, a very underappreciated woman in the history of motorsports, in my opinion, now that I know a little bit more about her. Let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned <laughs> And throw it straight over to my interview with Scott Zippadelli. Yes, it is Greg's brother, but that's not the defining characteristic of Scott, at least in my opinion. I hope you don't think so either. Uh, he is an absolutely really interesting guy. And you might hear this interview and be like, wow, he seems kind of disinterested. He's not really, you know, showing that much emotion. That's just Scott, man. That's who he is. I don't pretend to know him that well, but I've heard him talk enough on podcasts, on TV. I've heard him quoted enough and just seeing him over the years in media centers and at the racetrack. Scott is just a cool, calm, mild-mannered dude, but he absolutely likes to let loose and have fun when you're in the right scene and when you're with the right people get into some of those conversations here about having all that fun back in the days of HRE with Brett Moffitt when they won that championship back in 2018. And oh, by the way, he has won at the Xfinity level as well. He did so with Boris said in 2010. We chatted about that, all the different drivers that he's worked for, including his current driver in the truck series at Tricon, Corey Heim. I was interested to hear what sets Corey apart from all the other drivers that he's worked with in the past. And I was even more fascinated with Scott's answer. It may surprise you, so stay tuned for that. I'll get out the way and let you hear the full conversation with Tricon Garage Crew Chief and Truck Series Champion, Scott Zipadelli. Pleasure to welcome on to the show today, one of the busiest men in the Craftsman Truck Series at the moment. And aren't they all, but this guy specifically is grinding his way to the playoffs. And I think the 11 truck is primed for a good playoff run. It is the shot caller and the crew chief for Corey Heim and Tricon Garage, Scott Zippadelli. Just another boring, not hectic week for you headed to Richmond, I'm sure, Scott, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so boring. I forgot to shave this morning. Hey, you look good with a beard. I like the gray. Yeah, I don't know. You'll have it soon. <laughs> yeah, probably. The way that my life's going, I know it. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned it. We're gearing up for the playoffs. I know that we're going into Richmond this weekend specifically, but looking past that race, you guys have been locked in for a while. And I think personally that the 11 team, you and core, you guys kind of go in as one of the favorites to bring home the championship and certainly get to the championship four with the amount of points that you guys have accumulated. Do you feel that way? And if so, do you kind of like having that favorite label attached to you guys? Well, I mean, obviously we're in a better spot than say Zane is in. So we're, 
you know, we're pleased about that. Uh, but, you know, we still have to execute, um, stick with the plan. You know, the goal is to win, win both stages and win the race and get out of there with some more points. But in all reality, we, uh, we, we're going to continue to do what we've been doing all year and just focus on racing our own, our own race and not get caught up in other people's drama and just, uh, just focus on our deal and wherever the points land, they land at the end of the day. I think I probably know the answer to this question, but you, you strike me as kind of a very straight laced dude gets in, gets out, does their job to the best of their ability. And more often than not, it results in a trips to victory lane. But when you guys have performed the way that you have this year so far, going to victory lane, winning multiple times, running up front, do you guys feel extra pressure to keep that up week after week inside the shop? I, I think that comes with it. Yeah. I mean, that comes with success, right? Every time uh, you, you have a good run, um, we come back, we have our Monday morning meeting and we, you know, I go around, thank everybody and talk to everybody. And then we, we get right back to work and by, uh, you know, by break time Monday, that, that race is over. We're, uh, we're grinding hard for, uh, for the next race or, or the, the week after that. So, yeah, I mean, winning two races, that's, that's very good, but obviously it's not enough, uh, you know, so we're, uh, we're not gonna, we're not just going to ride around and uh, just shoot for top fives. We're going to win. And if we can't win, we're going to get the best finish we can. I'm sure Corey would probably say the same thing too. Two's great, but three would be better. Four would be better than that. So I know you guys will go for that this weekend at Richmond. We'll get to Richmond here in a little bit to kind of end our chat. But I'm curious about Corey, right? He's a young guy who's been in the Toyota pipeline as a development driver for a while. I'm sure that you have known about him, but you haven't worked with him a whole, heck, a whole heck of a lot up until the start of this year. And I know it's only been, in the grand scheme of things, a handful of races. But in that short time that you guys have worked together as a driver-crew chief pairing, can you tell me some things that set Corey apart from some of the other drivers that you've had success with in the past? Um, honestly, no. That's that's very unique, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I just in the past recent years, you know, I wanted – uh, championship with with Brett Moffat in 18 and then Austin Hill replaced him uh, he's he's like a cross between both of those guys you know there's no nonsense uh, they're both come to the racetrack very well prepared and this is how they make a living and, and Corey's one of these young kids that has has the natural talent he's not taught talent you know he has natural talent because he started when he was younger and he was successful but he he does he does all the right things off the racetrack as well. Meaning, uh, you know, I spoke with him today, but, uh, I know he's watching video. He's taking care of his body. He's getting hydrated and he's probably watching more video. Uh, we spent three hours in the simulator yesterday. He ran about 300 laps. Wow. Um, like he does the work off the racetrack and, and it shows when you get to the racetrack, he's well-prepared. Um, he talks to other drivers uh, that have more experience. Um, he knows where he at he is in his uh, in his development. Um, he's not afraid to say, "Hey, I need help here or I need help there." Um, so, um, you know, he's a special talent for sure. And with the hard work uh, and his determination, I think he's going to go. Uh, he'll go places for sure. Were you surprised at that work ethic and the talent to come with it? Obviously, you can see watching him and, and hearing him talk, but the work ethic is something that 
not everybody like myself on the outside looking in sees. And for a young driver like that, let's be honest, young drivers, especially in the truck series, they come with a bit of a reputation kind of as a grander scope. Were you surprised at the work ethic that he kind of carries himself with? Yeah. Yeah, I am actually. And, uh, and not knowing him very, very long. Uh, you know, I keep telling him I'm really proud of his, his work ethic and his determination. And, and honestly, that's what separates him from the others. You know, we talk during the day or we go to lunch almost every day. He'll pop in and we're going to the gym, we're going to the, um, training facilities, working on all kinds of stuff. He's not on the lake. He's not golfing. He's not doing other things. He's focusing on his racing because this is what he wants to do. And this is how he makes his living. So he uh, he's not leaving any stone unturned on his end. I know you haven't worked with um, – well, you're no stranger to working with younger drivers, right? Brett was younger than you. Austin's younger than you. I understand that. It's kind of the nature of the beast. But Corey is basically a child, right? I mean, you look <laughs> at him and you think that he's a baby. And even though he wanes and he gets out in a time time, right, he still has got a baby face. And you're a grown man. You've been in the sport for a couple decades at this point. How was the process in terms of adjusting to working with a way younger driver in somebody like Corey when you yourself is a veteran of the sport? Yeah, that that was a bit of a concern for me going into this, but uh, I've been told I do not act my age. So, <laughs> um, Hopefully that's a good thing. I know we have a good time. Um, you know, I think I think if a younger guy can can a kid like Corey can except that, yeah, I have been around a little bit longer than he has. And, and he's open to hearing the lessons that I've learned and some of the other older guys around have learned. Um, we, we, all we're trying to do is shortcut his development and, and kind of, I think that helps because I've been to Richmond so many times. I kind of know what happens at Richmond where he, he, he doesn't, right. He's only run there once in a truck and once in a late model, I think, but, right. um, uh, there was a little bit of gelling period there, I think. But once we spent enough times going to, to dinners and lunches and, you know, we had some team outings and bowling and all kinds of fun stuff. I mean, we're, let's face it. We're not like old, boring guys, right? We work, <laughs> we work on race cars. So we're, yeah. I think we're all pretty cool. We're fun. Um, and, and he is, a, he is young, right? He just turned 21 but he's not your average 21 year old. He's very mature. He's, he's extremely mature. Um, probably beyond his years as 21 year old. So if I told you the kid, he was 30 you, you, and we were out at dinner. You would probably believe me, you know, yeah. he carries himself very mature. And, uh, um, yeah, he's, he's not a, he's not a goofy 21 year old kid, I guess. I just hope that he didn't celebrate his 21st birthday with you guys. Cause I don't think that would have ended up well for him. No, they would not have. They would <laughs> have. Oh, he wasn't with me. Good for but, him then I would assume. But, uh, yeah. At some point we will have a, well, we will have a bonfire and have a good, good time for sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Maybe after Richmond. Yeah. Hopefully after another win. Um, yeah. so that's Corey. That's kind of the here and the now I want to go way back and I hope that you'll, uh, you'll indulge me here, but, we're going back over 20 years. If I have my stats right, my research correct. 2000, Ward Burton, Darlington, Xfinity Series. Wow. I believe that was your first time as a crew chief in NASCAR's National Series. And you go out there and you get a top five result out of it. 
how, why were you the crew chief for that specific race? I mean, that's a hell of a way to come into things and just come out the gate and get a top five at the Lady in Black of all places. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I know. Um, Sorry. Yeah, Ward. Yeah, he was funny. I remember uh, he was more concerned about his gum. We had to take gum on the roll bar and the, on the APOS bar of the race car because he liked to chew gum during the race. And he, if I remember right, he didn't need one piece or two piece. He wanted four pieces taped. It's a long um, race. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I went. I moved down here in the winter of 99 from Connecticut. I had grown up racing my whole life and went to work for that team. And, and I don't remember the details, but somehow I, w I was the, the car chief and there was some changes and I ended up saying, Hey, they said, Hey, you got to call the race. You're, you're in do a good job. Don't mess it up. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Ward filled in for uh, a long time. Good friend, Mike McLaughlin's father had passed away and Mike had to go to take care of family business back in Waterloo, New York. And uh, last minute we, we got, uh, got Ward in. And you mentioned Mike there, uh, magic shoes as it was, right? Yeah. Uh, I know that he obviously is a legend up in the Northeast and you and Greg growing up there, obviously in Connecticut, you did 13 races as his crew chief that same year in 2000. I'm sure that had to be a pretty cool full circle moment almost. And I know you were that you were young back then, but still to be crew chief for a Northeast legend, legend like magic shoes, that had to be a pretty cool time for you. I bet. Well, Mike was the reason that I moved down, you know, between Mike and my brother and some other friends, uh, I've raced with Mike for years back at home. He drove our, uh, family, family modified, um, for years and worked there full time. We won a championship in 88 with them. We'd won several, uh, several modified races all over and uh, several Bush North races. So, you know, we were buddies and it was just natural. They, they moved down here before me, I was still trying to be a race car driver at home. And then, uh, finally packed up my stuff. I came down for a little while and I never went back. So, uh, yeah, obviously it's cool to race with family. And, uh, I owe Mike a lot of, uh, a lot of where I'm at today, my success, you know, in my own career from all the things he taught me, uh, which is including probably work ethic and hard work. Humor me again, please, because I'm always intrigued by former race car drivers that for one reason or another, be it, they ran out of money, they ran out of talent, a little bit of both why they decided to pursue the other side of things, be it as a mechanic, a crew chief on the media side, whatever, after their racing days were over. Can you take me back to those late nineties and when that decision happened and what the process was like for you? Well, I started racing when I was young and then I gave it up for a while. And just after high school, I started racing again. I mean, I always wanted to be, you know, drive, but obviously the funding is always an issue, right? Um, and, uh, I was kind of more into the fabrication side growing up in the family business. So, you know, my brother was more of the setup guy and I was the, the, the fabrication side with, with Mike and, uh, other people. And then, you know, uh, I did a lot of fab work on the side to pay for my racing, but I was just not getting anywhere. You know, you, I think you just get to a point where you're like, Hey, look, I'm not going to make it. You know, whether it be talent, money or or whatever it is, I, I probably didn't start young enough. Um, and, you know, it was really hard to do back then. 
honestly. It looks like it is today for these young kids. It's even, you know, it's even 10 times harder. So, uh, yeah, I was uh, 29 and my uh, my brother and Mike and some other friends were like, dude, you just got to you just got to pack your bags up and get down here and just go to work. You'll be fine. So I originally came down as, you know, fabricator skills and uh, uh, was very well with, you know, I could fix anything as far as mechanical stuff as well. But but basically uh, my specialty was fabrication. And, you know, you get down here and you if you want to work hard and you make it your your life, you'll, you'll be fine. You know, and you just outwork everybody else. That's the key to success down here racing. Or yeah. was at the time. Sure. Maybe not now, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know there's a couple more factors that are into it nowadays, but I mean, back then too, it was all about just racing for the love of the sport, right? I mean, it still is now to a certain extent, but back then it seemed like even more so. And even when you first moved down here into the two thousands, the late two thousands and even 2010s, as we know, that kind of was when NASCAR was at its peak. That's when it was booming, right? When it was one of the top sports in the U S and you had a front row seat to pretty much all of that working in the sport, I guess now looking back on that, I feel old now, even talking about that 10, 15 years later. Um, what were the, what were those times like for you that was in it every week, traveling to the racetrack, working on the cars and just living and breathing NASCAR every second of it. I, I don't, I don't think it ever really sunk in to be quite honest with you. Cause you know, if you're into racing and you grew up racing, it's kind of normal. Sure. You know, um, and I, I do remember those days where, there were so many fans everywhere and everybody had racing hats and racing shirts. And I do remember like the first few times leaving a race, you know, back when I was car chief or like fat back on the 18 or, or wherever it was. And people knew who I was and you're like, how do you know who I am? <laughs> but those were fans that knew yeah. everybody on the team, right? They, they didn't just pick me. They knew every car chief on every cup team and they knew, they knew everybody's tire changers names. And it was, it was amazing. That was always cool. Um, today it's just different, right? It's just a different time. I think different time. And, uh, I just live in a different world than we did at the time. Professional sports has changed a lot, but it, I mean, it was hard. Don't get me wrong. And you, there's a lot of self, uh, there's a lot of self-sacrifices that you make to, to even do one year on the cup schedule in today. Yeah. is just brutal and you know i remember one time we tested i don't know if it was like 15 times it was like 300 almost 300 days a year oh we were on we were traveling uh I, you think you just become a machine you just you just do it because you love it and that's what you do for a living and you want to become a crew chief or a team manager and you you know, you're, you have a goal and you got, you got your sight on something. You have to put the hard work into and learn the sport before you can yeah. get there. So uh, would I do it again? Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. You're not the first person that has that answer too. So. It's been good to me, but I don't think uh, if I had to do it all over again, I don't know. Yeah. It's a lot to deal with. I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, so you have worked with so many really talented Big name, small name drivers throughout your career. Just to name a couple or a few, right? The late Jason Leffler, John Wood back in the day, Kenny Wallace, Alex Bowman, Justin Allgaier, Patrick Carpentier, uh, yeah, Boris said, cool. I know, yeah, I know you won a road course race with Boris in Montreal, yeah. I think in 2010. And now 
rumors swirling that we're going to go back there with the Cup Series next year. I hope so. We'll see. Out of all those drivers and all the countless ones that I didn't mention either that everybody can look up and see who you work with, is there anybody in particular that stands out more to you than the others for whatever reason, whether it be a funny story or their raw talent or the times that you had together? Boy, he brought up Jason Leffler. We had a really good time. He was a lot of fun. He was, my God, he was wild. He was a good kid. Um, you know, I don't know. You brought up Boris said, yeah, one Boris said uh, we won Montreal together. Um, Patrick Carpentier. Now that is a world-class road racer. Yeah. Felt like we had a really good car at uh, Montreal as well. And I believe we qualified really well. And uh, we had a break, uh, just a very strange break issue right off the bat, like first few laps into the race, something failed and we never really got an opportunity to race. So um, Andy Lally, I mean, there's been so many, so many great talents that have helped me a lot. I think, uh, I think of Marcus Ambrose helped me a lot race with him quite a few times. We've won, uh, we won Watkins Glen. Um, but you know, road racing, we're talking about that. Um, Andy Lally, I ran with him and he taught me a lot of how to approach some of these racetracks. I still lean on Andy when we're going to a new road, road, road racetrack that I've not been to. Smart guy. I'll ask you about it. Um, there's probably more that I don't want to talk about than talk about. But, uh, Fair. Uh, uh, you know, Brett and I, we've had a, we had a tremendous uh, run together. Even when he was his first time, he was like 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. I took him to Iowa in an Xfinity car. And I believe we finished, I think we may have got a top 10. Um, but I don't have any complaints. You know, we've had some rough goes. We've had some bumps in the road, but uh, it's, I've been fortunate to work with a lot of different drivers. Um, some too many, you know, too many drivers in one year. I think yeah. I was at Red Horse. We had like six or seven different drivers in a year, which is really hard, but still managed to win a race. Uh, I think that was Brett Moffat. Um, but, you know, everybody's unique. Everybody brings something different to the table. And uh, I think I've learned a little bit from all of them. So you mentioned the highs and the lows, and you mentioned Brett. Let's let's talk about him for a little bit. I know you won that championship in 2018. We'll get there in a second. But a couple of years before, your guys' first win together was Michigan in 2016 at Hattori Racing Enterprises. And I know that at that point, it probably felt like a long time coming. Just curious, what were the feelings for you that day when you guys are finally able to get over the hump, get to victory lane, and then obviously a couple of years later, it all culminated in a title, but that day specifically in the Irish Hills had to feel pretty good. I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I wish we were going back to Michigan cause, uh, it's one of my favorite racetracks and fortunate to win, I think three times there with the trucks. So, um, you know, it felt really good, but I'll tell you the win that, uh, uh this year at Martinsville, it was pretty special too, because it's kind of a lot of the same story. When I went over to HRE from red horse, uh, I had a clean slate and the owner and the general manager said, it just fix it. Don't put us out of business. Just fix it. And just, we, we hope you can fix it. Many people have tried. This is how much money we have. Uh, and just stay in the lines. And, you know, the first half, first quarter was kind of rough until we got some new stuff built. 
uh, and then we had Ryan Truex and second half of the year, man, we were, we were good. We were top five every week, led laps, sat on poles. Um, at the end of the year, Ryan didn't have the funding and Brett came in and unfortunately for Ryan, Brett got to reap the benefits of all our hard work. Uh, Brett's natural talent and his racecraft just, man, we were, we had an amazing season. Yeah. Um, but that was a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work and, coming to here, the owners have kind of said the same thing, you know, don't spend too much money. Don't put us out of business. Here's your, uh, here's your, here's your line. Stay between them and, uh, tell us what you need. And they've been great to me. We've, uh, you know, we've, we, when I came here, we didn't even have a hauler, <laughs> you know, Christmas, we didn't have an 18 wheeler. We didn't have any trucks built. So and now you got five was, trucks full time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was crazy. So, uh, you know, the group of guys have got here, they've worked their guts out all winter and, and this is why we do it. We've, we won a couple of races. Everybody's digging. We're excited to go to Richmond and try to win this, uh, regular season championship and just go one week at a time. Just between us. Cause David and Johnny gray, they're probably not listening, but you staying in between those lines. I hope I am. Yeah. Attaboy. They've great, man. They've been great. You know, when things are going well on the racetrack, it, 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 it uh, it solves a lot of problems. I'm sure it does. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It solves a lot of problems. Things don't go so good. The usually pop problems pop, pop up and even little problems become big problems because you got to have a problem. Um, but things are going well for us and we're just trying to just, we're just trying to stay on track and not get sidetracked with, uh, with a lot of media and a lot of extra stress and overthinking things. Um, just got to stay loose and stay focused and do your job and we'll be okay. So going back to Brett and HRE for a minute, you know, being in the sport for at that point back in 2018, when you guys won the championship for as long as you had been, obviously it's a family thing for you guys with magic shoes, your brother, Greg too, having gone through the highs and the lows from that day in Darlington with Ward to through seven drivers in one year to finally winning a title in the NASCAR national series for you specifically, Scott, how much personal satisfaction was that for you? Uh, there's no question that was that was a, uh, probably a, a, a pinnacle moment in my career. Um, personally, because I, I know how much I sacrificed to get there. Other people may, you know, they have a perception of how you got there or they don't know the what you've sacrificed, family, friends, you know birthdays vacations all that kind of stuff and and not not just that but the the physical hard work how hard we did work to make that happen but i think the group the core group that we had then are they they came with me from hre they they're here with me now um they felt the same way we were building something that was ours you know uh and 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 that shiggy hitori kind of treated us that way it was yes he owned the company but it was it was ours it was just as much ours we had ownership in it you know yeah. it's the game um and it was a small group there wasn't many of us we didn't have engineering department and we didn't have uh, a big fab shop it was myself and another guy in the fab shop and mike mclaughlin would come in and help me out when he wasn't racing with his son um so there was 10 or 12 of us and we did the unthinkable, you know, we won six races in a championship. So that's a big deal. It's a big deal to guys who eat 
eat, sleep, and drink this stuff and uh, have given up a lot to get there. I'm trying to remember the press conference because I remember this probably TMI. I was in the bathroom and Brett comes in after he wins the championship and he's going to the bathroom right next to me. And I was like, so are you going to shave that mustache now? And he was like, I don't know. I think the girls kind of like it. Did you grow a playoff mustache or a beard with the boys? I did not. Oh, come on, Scott. I don't know. I don't know what he, he's a clown, man. We know that. Much fun. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that was, that was uh, probably, uh, why it was so special because we just always got along so well and I could tell what he was thinking. And I, I, you know, I had that with a couple other drivers and I think I'm kind of getting there with this kid. Um, you just click and you can tell by their demeanor, their voice and how they act or how they answer a question. When you ask a question under caution, like you just click or you don't click. And I've been in a situation where you just don't click. Yeah. And that makes it awkward. It makes it very difficult. But, um, yeah, he was, it was so much fun to race with. I mean, we would just go to the racetrack and, and just, I don't know, we would mess with everybody. It was just, (laughs) I can't even tell you what we would do, but we would just, just, just goof with everybody. And people were, they were, teams were just watching us nonstop what we were doing. While you were spanking them too. Oh my God, we would be changing springs and putting the same springs back in it, leave springs laying around and roll the shocks <laughs> around. And, like they did, they, we had them spun out. I mean, we just had fun with it. And yeah. um, that kid was on his game, man. Then he was, his racecraft is so good. I don't know why he's not a Sunday guy. It's, I, it's so disappointing that with his natural talent that he's not, he's not racing us on Sunday. Yeah. I even remember back in those NWR days. I mean, he showed what he was made of, and that was back before the truck days, too. I'm telling you, he is he is good. Same thing with Austin Hill. That kid comes yeah. so far. He is definitely – the difference between the guy, guys like that and even Corey is they have this, this inner strength that you cannot teach. Like you can't teach a kid to win races that's not strong confident you know what i mean like yeah they're not weak people i don't mean that bad they're not weak men they're strong internally no matter what you do where you take them what you do they're just strong people they can take care of themselves they have a plan um and they don't they don't fall or crack under pressure you know so as a crew chief then who kind of is the leader of the team. You know, we hear in football, basketball, baseball, stick and ball sports, the coaches or managers, kind of a leader of men type of thing, right? They, they're they the ones that rally the troops and galvanize the group. Is the sign of a, a really strong mentally driver one that doesn't necessarily need that from a crew chief? And how do you balance that when you need to give your driver a kick in the, ta- a kick in the tail and say, come on, man, let's go, let's go get it versus letting them figure it out for themselves? No, I think we all do need a kick in the tail once in a while, right? Um, I think you just manage it the best you can. You know, you don't want to be – you want to be supportive. You want to be motivating. You, you you, know, the biggest thing is is to keep them focused on the positives and not the negatives, you know? Um, you can try to control the things you control because um, attitude is big. When you're in a race car and you're racing and you – you know, you have a bad restart for the third time in a row and you get past and it's so hard to pass. You get in a bad mood. 
like you can't have that you got to stay focused sure um you got to stay hydrated so i try to motivate i try to treat my guys the way that i wanted to be treated when i was working on a race car right nobody wants to get yelled at belittled um and you try to surround yourself by people that would never do that right <clears throat> we all make mistakes so you're supportive to your guys and I think if one of our guys is a little bit down or not feeling well, our, we don't have necessarily have to talk about it. We all know that, hey, man, Tim's not feeling great today. And they all pick up the pace. They carry him. Um, you know, we knew that that uh, Corey wasn't feeling well for a while. And he missed the race, and he came back, and he did a great job. But he wasn't feeling 100% at, at Nashville. Um, but we we rallied behind him. Um, we did what we had to do and, uh, we finished fourth. It was a good day. Right. Uh, so, you know, the difference between the strong ones and the not so strong ones is, is how much you have to push them. You don't have to push somebody that wants it. They're going to do the work. You may just have to keep them focused on, uh, on the prize. Right. Yeah. Eyes on the prize. You guys are going for a big one at the end of the year, and I'm sure you guys will uh, do your best to get it. I know I'm, I'm almost at time. I got a couple quick hitters that are a little bit on the fun side for you. First of all, you mentioned Martinsville. Did you get to keep the trophy? Do you have a grandfather clock in your possession? Because I know you said that one was pretty special. I do have a grandfather clock at home. There you go. Where is it? Uh, uh, well, it's actually at my shop. It's uh, from 2006, I think. I won, uh, I was car chief on the 18, uh, 18 cup car with Bobby Labonte. We won Martinsville. Cool. Um, but I did not buy a trophy from this one. Okay. Well, you had one before. Somebody else would buy me one, but. Uh, when Corey makes it big time and he's making millions, you can, you can hold that over his head. Yeah. That's the problem. That's what happens is they go <laughs> off millions and we're still doing the same thing make another driver get to the next level where they can make millions. I know. Doing something wrong. Right? Who are you telling? We're on this side of things. We're not the ones driving. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was doing I was doing some research, and I stumbled upon a picture of uh, – I didn't even mention Ben Kennedy as one of the drivers that you crew chief for. He yeah. obviously is running the show now at NASCAR. Um, but you guys had a SpongeBob truck that you yeah. had one time. Do you yeah. still have that fire suit? No. I, um, oh, I don't know where it went. You got to find think, that thing. That's I gold. Think, uh, that was kind of a joke. Um, he was at an airport somewhere, and he saw this thing, and I and he bought it, and said, "I'm gonna make you wear this on the next race." I said, "Well, you, you, uh, come up with money for charity, and I'll, I'll, I'll wear it." And he said, Love "What it. do you want to do?" I said, "I don't know." Well, at the time, my daughter was was terminally ill with cancer, and I said, "I want money for." for uh cancer and uh i want to think he did some social media i want to think we raised like 25 grand and i believe we, he gave it to the martin truex jr foundation that's awesome and i wore that stupid costume during the race hey you look great oh yeah yeah <laughs> um this might be a personal question you don't have to answer if you don't want but obviously if people are watching the video they see you're tatted up uh how many tattoos do you have do you have a favorite one because i know you got a lot of them um, I have more than my mother wished I did. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I have quite a few. Obviously, my whole arm, my chest, um, this arm. Um, do I have a favorite one? Probably this one is my favorite one. Obviously, it's a lot of work. Um, it's all based off of uh, my experience of uh, my life experience and and my my daughter who's not with us anymore. But that's uh, got some of her favorite things on it. But um, I don't know. Haven't had too much time to go get any more. You're busy. I still have uh, canvas to to cover up. I feel you on that. Um, how often do people mistake you for Greg just when they see your face or they see your last name and vice versa, maybe? Not that many. Well, that's good. Uh, surprising to yeah, me. Not that many. Usually, like the UPS guy comes to the house or something, gets the wrong house. But Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not that many, really. Okay. Could be worse then. Um, let's bring it back to the here and the now and racing. And I know we're going to Richmond this weekend, a place that you guys obviously would like to go into the playoffs with a lot of success. Speaking of the playoffs specifically, I mentioned you guys obviously have had your spot well in advance, right? Is it championship or bust championship four or bust? I mean, what are the expectations realistically for you guys on the 11 truck, this playoffs? Um, I've kind of been focused on, I mean, we've been we've been on kill mode we've been focused on going to to execute to win the race and if if i kind of plan is if we're in the race and i don't feel like we have a a winning truck and i don't i don't have the stops or i don't think i can fix the truck we're going to go for the best finish we can um but we're not going to take ourselves out of either spot meaning we were at Pocono and I felt right off the bat through the first stage. I said, I think we got a truck that if we can get out front, we could win this race. In order to do that, you have to throw your stage points out the window. You can't go, can't run both stages out of Pocono and then go for the win. The, the, the race is too short and there's not enough cautions there. So we, you know, we threw the second stage out. Didn't get any points for that, uh, but we went for the win, and we were really close. At the end of the day, the risk was worth the reward. Um, I felt like we, you know, we're a top two truck, right? And we came out of there with more than forty points. So, like, you got to be you. You've got to win. You got to make forty points a race minimum to to be in a contender. I think to win the championship. I know that's a tall task but I know it's one you guys are certainly up to and you've proven that all year long on the 11 truck. So got no doubt that you will be one to watch and one to contend with moving forward. Scott, I so appreciate your time, man. I know, like we said, it's a busy week, especially at this time of the week going into Richmond and with the playoffs coming up. So much appreciated for you carving out all the time. Best of luck down the road and we'll see you in Virginia this weekend. Thank you. Appreciate you. And we are back. Told you, man, that is one interesting fella, if I do say so myself. And obviously, huge thanks to Scott for carving out some time in his busy week over at Tricon. Uh, if you guys saw one of the video clips, uh, there was a couple people that were going to use the conference room because we went like five or six minutes over. And uh, he graciously sat there and let me grill him and ask him some more questions that I don't know if he's ever been asked before. But regardless, I so appreciate Scott's time, appreciate his honesty and his candor, and also appreciate my man Cullen Ronan 
of Tricon Garage helping coordinate that conversation as well. So both of you fellas, big thanks to you. Let's chit chat relatively quickly about the racing action that we saw over the weekend in Pocono. Odds are, if you're listening to this show before Richmond or after, you have definitely heard all of the takes and all of the sides of each story that went down over the weekend at Pocono. Denny versus Larson obviously is the big storyline coming out of it. Late in the race, Denny squeezes Larson up off of turn one into the wall, and then all the takes started flying from there. But here's one take that you cannot refute. Denny won the race. 600th win for Toyota. 50th win in his Cup Series career, further cementing himself as obviously a lock to be in the Hall of Fame, I would say, first ballot. And honestly, you could say that he may be on the Mount Rushmore of this generation of Cup Series drivers. I don't know if you put him on there because the generations may be undefined, but he is up there, man. He is just so impressive week after week after week. And also the seventh win in his Cup Series career at Pocono Raceway, which is now the most all-time. So I'm curious what you guys think. Tweet me at Davy Center, and you can hit me up on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. You guys know where to find me by now. What do you think? You think it was Larson's fault? You think it was Denny's fault? If you think it was one person's fault or the other for complaining or for being upset, why is that the case? I think that it was a hard racing deal, and I totally, totally see Larson's perspective on why he's pissed. He's not pissed because he got crashed. He's pissed because of who did it and what he said afterwards. You know, what are you saying on TV? Denny's always right. All the buddies know he's never wrong. You can never convince him. And Denny's coming out and defending himself and saying, I know it looks like we did, but I will go to my grave saying we didn't touch. Denny, I love you, man. A lot of people don't like you. I, for one, do. I'm a fan of what he represents and kind of what he does to further the sport in the in you know my generation but he's wrong on this one <laughs> they touched although it was ever so slightly they most certainly did touch and um that has created a lot of conversation this week on our Sirius XM NASCAR radio airwaves as has the Corey LaJoy Ryan Priest altercation at the end of the race that was pretty interesting to me you had Priest that was obviously very also rightfully so pissed off at Corey for allegedly spinning him and wrecking him uh on the last couple laps and then priest couldn't get fired back up and get going. So then the caution came out and that was also a controversial piece. And then priest gets out and starts wailing soccer bopper style on Corey while he's sitting in the seat. And uh, Corey was very clear to actually tell me when I said goodbye to him on Sirius today, uh, Hey, I did not get hit in the head. So don't be spewing that nonsense. So Corey, I am here to say you did not get punched in the head. Now I will ask Ryan priest, what happened also this week when we get the chance to chat with him and his media availability. But Corey says he did not get punched in the head because he didn't really have a chance to defend himself anyway. So that was one beef. You have Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick. Austin with a relatively weak helmet throw at Reddick. I mean, I shouldn't talk because I'm not really that athletic and I have never thrown a helmet, nor probably will I. But that was kind of weak in my opinion. I, I, when you're going up against Tony Stewart's helmet throw on Matt Kenseth at Bristol in 2012, you're probably going to finish P2 or worse on that one because that was an all-timer. And then Tony with the riling him up with the let's go with the finger in the air. After that, that was pretty cool. And last but not least, this isn't a beef, but shout out to the Pocono crowd, man. They were unbelievable. And I've only been going to Pocono for two years now. As an aside, I don't know why my dad and I never went growing up because it's not that far away. 
It's only like three and a half, four hour haul. But that place was packed, man. And part, maybe part of the reason why we didn't go, Dad, you can tell me, is uh, the race kind of was very eh. There were two races there a year, a month apart or six months apart. The product on track wasn't that compelling. The races were way too long. This was back when they were 500 miles instead of 400. Uh, it rained all the time. It's not easy to get to, but good golly, man. That place was packed. The infield, as Baggy would say, you couldn't shoehorn another person in there. Um, the traffic getting in and getting out was actually significant, which is a good problem to have if you're NASCAR or the racetrack. And the racing itself has gotten pretty good, in my opinion. I mean, we had the beefs between Kyle and Denny, Corey and Ryan, uh, Austin and Tyler. But the action on track was pretty solid, too. I mean, yes, it's difficult to pass. Shocker. I know. Crazy. Stop me if you heard that before. But it's that way everywhere. And I think what we saw at Pocono was kind of a representation of this new era of racing that we've talked about in the last several weeks. And we've talked about it on Sirius this week, too. Kyle Busch had a really good answer, I thought, about why the racing is kind of the way it is now. And it essentially stems from younger drivers working their way up through late models, Arca, Trucks, Xfinity, that have now kind of made their way into the Cup Series. And that, quote-unquote, aggressive driving style and kind of throwing respect out the window has kind of infiltrated the Cup Series and infiltrated the veterans. And it's been a vicious cycle, his words, not mine, as to how that's kind of wreaked itself and, and shown itself on the racetrack. So if you haven't heard those comments, check them out on Twitter, at NASCAR. But, man, what a weekend at Pocono, man. That was fun. A um, lot of racing, ARCA, trucks, Xfinity, Cup. And the best part about it all, even though we had a little bit of a dropping on Sunday morning. Dropping sounds weird. A few droplets on Sunday morning. No rain. It is ridiculous that we have to go to Pocono and Long Pond, PA to get away from Mother Nature in the middle of the summer. I don't know why that's the case, but hey, man. I'm not going to complain. I was happy to have a dry weekend, and that's exactly what we had. Hopefully, we'll have another dry weekend out in Richmond, but I'll tell you one thing. It's going to be hot. It is going to be a scorcher out there in the Commonwealth. So if you are headed out that way like I am later in the week, please do me a favor. Wear sunscreen. I need to heed my own advice. Heed. I did that on purpose there, Dad. Heed my own advice. Wear some sunscreen and hydrate. Don't want to joke about it, but we don't want you to dehydrate. Hydrate. It's going to be in the triple digits, party people. And if you're not from around these parts, it's muggy. It ain't a dry heat. This ain't Arizona. This ain't Vegas. This is a hot, sweltering, heavy, wet heat. And it does not feel nice. It does not feel fun. So please get in the shade as much as you can. If you're in the grandstands or the garage area or you got infield passes drink water stay cool and please 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 take care of yourself when it comes to sunscreen hydrating the whole nine yards that's for you the fans listening uh so sorry for being your mom or your dad for a little bit the drivers are going to have to deal with this heat as well i mean they have probably started hydrating three four five days well in advance i'm sure as they do every single week but they're going to be roasting in these cars on sunday sunday's not going to be as bad think it's going to go down from about 100 or 101 to the upper 80s which sure in the grand scheme of things not that bad but it still is pretty hot right so the drivers are going to have to deal with this and we know that the short track package with the next gen car has not really been that great 
I do think that the hotter temperatures may be able to help that a little bit. I, I'm being hopeful and I'm being an optimist, but I'm hoping that the hot temperatures and making the racetrack hotter, slicker, makes them slide around and slip and slide all over the place. I'm hoping that that comes to fruition. If it doesn't, and even regardless, if it does, I think you're still going to see the guys and gals up front that you're used to seeing. Hendrick Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, Toyota, Chevrolet. Do not take your eye off the four car of Kevin Harvick. He obviously won this race one year ago. He obviously is still winless in his final Cup Series season. Richmond and Michigan, the next two weeks, I really think, at least for the rest of the regular season, and maybe for the rest of the entire season when you count the playoffs, which he is solidly in right now, these are the two weeks that he probably has the best chance of winning. And you guys know my history with Kevin. I feel like anybody that is in the sport right now as a fan, as a reporter, media member, driver, they probably will agree with me. I want to see Kevin win. Just to have him go out in his last season as a winner at the cup level. We know he's a first bout Hall of Famer. He's walking in there. He can he can take his time and get in there because there is no way he's not getting in there. But just to go out on top, something that, frankly, Jimmy Johnson didn't do. Richard Petty didn't do. Daryl Waltrip didn't. I could, the list goes on. There's so many drivers that went out on their own terms but did not go out a winner. And it's rare that that happens nowadays. Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart were able to do it. I really hope Kevin Harvick is able to do that and put his name in the list of guys that went out on their terms and on top. And that'll wrap things up, party people, for episode 194. 194, that is, of Victory Lane 2.0. If you guys like what you heard here today, please do me a favor. You can leave a rating and a review. You can subscribe to the podcast. We are available on Apple, iTunes, Google, SoundCloud, The Green App, anywhere you get your podcasts. We should be available there for your consumption. And if we are not, please, please drop me a line, and we'll try to rectify that issue for you. Again, thank you to Scott Zipidelli of Tricon Garage for hopping on the pod this week amid his trip to Richmond Raceway this weekend and the Truck Series regular season coming to a close. Didn't even mention the Xfinity cars this weekend, but the guys and girls up there are going to be in America's Dairyland, Road America in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, for a standalone event on Saturday afternoon. And the trucks and cup cars and trucks uh, will be in Richmond Raceway this weekend, as will I. So if you're out there, heed my advice. Put on sunscreen, stay hydrated, stay in a cool, shady place if you can. But also, come say hey. Uh, interested to see who's out there. Had a great time seeing a bunch of people out at Pocono last weekend. I'm so sorry. I forget the gentleman's name, but he stopped me as I was leaving the tweet up, and he said that he listened to the pod. And I asked him if he listened to this past week's pod, last week's episode. He said no, but I gave him a hug anyway. Uh, and if you were counting at home, there were zero people that told me that they listened to the pod and they wanted a hug. But... I gave that man one just because I was feeling nice. Anyways, if you see me in Richmond, say that you listen to the pod. I'll give you another one too. Maybe we'll make it a, an every week thing. Thank you guys for listening this week and every single week. We'll be back next week with another guest from the world of NASCAR. Until then, hope you enjoy the racing action at Road America, Richmond, and we will catch you on the flip side. So long.